welcome to the Profiles in Persistence show. I'm Dusty Rollins, founder and owner of Oxford Business Services. We help entrepreneurs and business owners maximize their profit and minimize their taxes. We believe there should be limits to how much the IRS can punish your success. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on this great inspirational daily podcast. Let's go. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Josh Matthews. Uh, Josh is a recruiter, but he is unlike any recruiter I have ever come across. So I am greatly looking forward to this. Josh, first of all, thank you uh, so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I should start by saying I wish I'd met someone like you about, well, a long time ago. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, happy to. Uh, so I've been in recruiting since 1999, really started, I think, uh, you know, back in 1990 doing sales and got lucky one day, got let go from a dot bomb uh, back in 99, was, uh, was at a picnic table with a buddy of mine and he said, oh, you should be a recruiter, call my friend Francis. And that launched this career that's gone on now for uh, almost 22 years. And during that time, I've had an opportunity to operate as both a a third-party internal recruiter for some large multi-billion dollar firms, um, have my own firm, of course, and uh, and then kind of rise through the ranks in Fortune 500 companies up up to the level of vice president too, um, predominantly doing technical and creative recruiting, but mostly technical recruiting. So the um, I'm going to ask you a little bit later about some of the observations on both sides of the fence, but it, it strikes me that that unique perspective would really help you in your current position. And indeed, uh, one of the things I've observed in researching you for this podcast is you are incredibly passionate about recruiting. And I was wondering, where does that passion come from? Is it helping others? Is it helping companies? Is it just seeing a smile on somebody's face? <laughs> what is it? Yeah, no, good, good question. I'll tell you, um, I'm trying to remember how long ago it was that it dawned on me, like what my thing was, you know, your thing, like what's the thing that drives you. And I think it was back in 2000 and um, 2003, I did a marathon, which I am not designed for. (laughs) I'm not designed for those. And I crossed the finish line and uh, very slow, by the way. And the thing that was most important to me. The thing that made me happiest wasn't finishing this marathon. It's that um, I'd inspired a couple of my friends to do it with me, both who were much faster than I was. And it was then that I realized that helping others succeed um, and helping them achieve their goals was actually like the thing that drove me and made me tick. And, you know, being in recruiting, it's a really unique position because uh, you're not just helping someone like, you know, in sales, maybe someone selling software, you might help a lot of people by doing that. But you're helping two parties, two specific parties to really uh, improve their lives, both that hiring manager who needs the help, who needs the expertise, who needs to you know spend more time with their family or have a better report to their CEO or whatever it happens to be. And then you're, the ripple effect for the employee on their family when they're in a position that is positive, um, fulfilling, 
and uh, meeting all of their needs and driving them towards their goals. It's just the satisfaction I get from that is absolutely incredible. I, I just, I kind of can't get enough of it, <laughs> to be honest. Josh, one of the themes I got in, in doing research on you was the, the concept of talent and that corporations, they, they live on talent and corporations need to think about that, but they need to think about that for tomorrow, for five years from now, from 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Why do you see talent as, as a absolute key for any corporation, literally from a two-man startup to some of the multinational, multi-billion dollar companies you worked for? Well, I mean, if you're saying talent from the perspective of like individuals, like people who are good at what they do, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of these concepts that uh, if you have the right person, you can hire fewer people, you can pay them more money, you can actually spend less money, and you can have people who are gelling, working together as a team, and achieving so much more. And I think a great example of that is the Patriots, and I know that can be a divisive subject in the NFL. I happen to be a Pats fan, a longtime Pats fan. And when we look at, you know, deeply at the way that team operated and how they were able to achieve everything, you know, they had salary caps to deal with and they were able to, to bring on people who were less expensive, but had the actual core values of the team, which was a team, which was that they would do anything to get to the Super Bowl and win the game that matters most during the year. And building a team based upon those things helped them achieve their goals ultimately and become the envy of the league and really, you know, the envy of the world in a lot of regards. And talent's no different, right? Finding that, finding those people that meet the passion and the goals and the needs for your company, not just from a technical standpoint or their ability to just, you know, whatever, they can talk or they're nice or they're friendly, but they're actually driven by the same goals that you as either a team manager or lead or a CEO or business owner have makes all the difference. So, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, but a lot of it's misplaced. There are underutilized professionals. There are um, people who are in roles that they are not qualified for, you know, and this sort of, if you look at it like a, like a game of chess, I mean, you've got pawns acting like Queens and Kings behaving like bishops and, you know, nights that are confused with what their moves are. And it's just unhealthy. It's not a fun game when it's like that. On uh, your YouTube channel, you had the phrase, uh, getting hired like your career depends on it. Could you explain what that means? Sure. I mean, honestly, it's a little bit just kind of a joke. I mean, you know, you do need to get hired like your career depends on it, but it's thinking about your opportunities and, you know, not as a job, but your career. So sometimes people get really desperate, right? They need the money. They're going to take work that maybe um, it's not the right thing for them, but really being able to identify the kinds of opportunities that are going to fulfill your long-term goals, capitalize on what your unique talents are, and, you know, really have you coming home at the end of the day so that your whole family's happy. You know, I mean, I talk to people every single day of the week. I talk to a woman who I have a tremendous amount of respect for yesterday. And one of the things she said was, I'm sure my husband is tired of me crying at the end of every day because, you know, the the demands are just ridiculous um, that are placed on her in this role. And so, you know, what does she do with that? She took the job because she needed a job, but what she really wants is a career and getting that aligned is really important. And I think giving people the skills in this channel um, to be able to really you know, kind of articulate 
what they're best at and what they're good at will only help them to land a better opportunity that fulfills all of those other requirements that helps them and their families around them. You know, it strikes me that you have actually multiple roles. You're certainly a recruiter. You're certainly a technical advisor. Uh, you're certainly uh, an executive, I would say, looking not only at your business, but helping others, companies with their business. But you're a rabbi, you're a confessor, you're a friend, um, and you're a trusted advisor. It, it, would that be a fair assessment that you're all of those? Maybe not the rabbi, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think so. You, you know, the the clients that I serve for the you know the majority of them, I really view them as friends and it doesn't take that long to get there when you're helping someone and they're helping you and you're working together um in a synergistic way and and you know everyone's everyone's benefiting from that like how else would you define that? You know, that's friendship. And so I think, you know, I think that's really important. And it's true. The confessor thing, very real. Um, I got an email last night from a guy who I'd interviewed and quite frankly, he, he wasn't a good, he was not a good interview and I could not place him. I told him, I said, I can't represent you to these firms, but I want to help you. Let me talk to you a little bit about, I mean, if you're open to it, do you want some straightforward advice? You might not like it. And he said, hit me. And I hit him. And yesterday I got an email and he said, Josh, just wanted to let you know, I just accepted a new job in Houston. I'm really excited about it. And I absolutely would not have you know, been able to take this job if you hadn't given me that very difficult advice that you'd shared. So being, un being unafraid to be honest and truthful you know, with anyone, whether it's a CEO of a billion dollar company or, you know, a, an up and coming developer who's just kind of trying to find their way or someone who who's feeling hard done by, you know, feel, feeling like they've got got screwed, you know, at their job or let go for the wrong reasons and kind of getting them over that hump to realize what it's going to take to move forward. I, I mean, that's a lot of fun. I get a lot of fulfillment from that. So one of the things that uh, COVID-19 has brought us is uh, video communications as we're video communicating now. Sure. Um, but that's also impacted your business and your profession in terms of interviewing. What are some of the best practices you've seen really on both sides of the fence from the interviewee in terms of video interviewing and also for the company? Yeah, um, I'll tell you, look, video interviewing is something that I've been involved in for a number of years, but it's absolutely become de rigueur for, for, this, um, for this ecosystem. Um, in particular, because most of the positions that I that I place are remote. People are going to interview remotely. They're going to do their job remotely. They're going to get their work done that way. So for, from a candidate standpoint, uh, it's really important to very much like what we're doing right now. Fill the screen, you know, think newscaster, right? Um, we, you know, you, you don't want to have your, your head up like this or, or, you know, your microphone really far away. It can be really difficult to hear them. The, the whole goal is to make sure that you can be seen and that you can be heard um, as if you're in the room with someone. Um, but some other challenges happen too. We have kids, we have barking dogs, we get leaf blowers, you know, next door at 120 decibels and it gets, you know, can get pretty loud to manage um, our distractions and the noise levels. You can see I've got some you know, cushioning here and up in my room and uh, on the ceiling and all over to kind of make the sound quality a little bit better. But then there, there are behavioral things that people do in 
almost all interviews, but particularly in the comfort of their own home that are absolute deal killers, not always, but often wiggling in their chair, (laughs) you know, clicking their pen or, you know, making noises or pulling weird faces. They're just getting too relaxed, right? Wearing sweats (laughs) instead of dressing professionally. You know, some of these things are really critical. And then I would say also talking too much. Again, I think this is sometimes, this is, this is good, good information, no matter whether you're interviewing in person or in a video, but something happens when someone's at home, they get just a little bit too comfortable and ramble on just like I'm doing right now. (laughs) From a client standpoint, smiling is really important. You know, particularly in my industry, it sounds silly, but uh, I mean, it's important in all industries, but it is a very lean candidate market. And we are having to identify people who are mostly happy. They're working somewhere right now. They're open-minded. They're happy to hear what you have to say. But if you're not going to roll out the red carpet for them, there's no reason they're going to select you if an offer is extended and they might get three or four or five offers in a single week. So making sure that people feel really comfortable by smiling, asking them how they're doing, instead of just getting right down into the meat and potatoes, sort of that 2008, 2009 mentality, right? Of like, I got a hundred people. Why are you good? Tell me, you know, like you can't do that. You really have to uh, engage them, Get the, I, I always say, you know, you've got to attract them before you screen them, right? You, you really have to like get them excited about what your company is all about and make sure you know how to describe that. If you can't, you're already going to be at a disadvantage. So let me turn to your company, the Salesforce Recruiter, and start off with, why did you found your company? Well, I knew I wanted to have my own staffing firm. I'd had one briefly before, and I was recruited back to um, a, a Fortune 500 company that I'd worked at for four years previously. And I did, in fact, eventually go back to that firm for o- almost four years. But I knew I wanted to uh, get back into tech, te- not get back. I wanted to stay in technical staffing. I wanted to have my own firm, but I wanted to de-risk it. I had this sinking feeling back in, uh, you know, 19, uh, excuse me, 2018, 2019, that a recession was coming. The, you know, we'd been cranking as an economy so well for so long, up, 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 up. There's always going to be a market check. And I didn't know when that was coming. So I wanted to pick and select a niche that I could operate in that was one cloud-based so that you could deal with more people from, you know, you didn't have to be a centralized, like just these candidates in this one town, right? You could work nationally or even globally as I do from time to time. Uh, so that de-risks it. So if Portland's having a bad day and DC's cranking, I still get to work in DC, right? And then I'd been familiar with Salesforce having been a user of it the year it came out back in 1999 had helped participate in all of the training um, at the company that I was at previously um, for the branch training when we rolled it out after um, changing our CRM system after 20 years. And they were also a client of mine um, for some time as well. But I'll tell you, I had no idea it was like this, but I I dug in uh, and, and really tried to find what's the best niche that's up and coming, super strong, very stable, where it's almost impossible to find great people. And that's the one I picked because I know I'm good at finding great people. And I figured I'd do better than my competition. <laughs> well, that really leads me into the next question, uh, which is um, what makes your approach different? And I should probably caution our listeners 
if we answered this in the amount of time it took Josh to say all the things that make him so different, we might be here quite a while. So maybe a little bit briefer version, because I'm going to tell our listeners, you have some of those incredible resources available um, that I've seen in this field. So, uh, but what makes you different? Well, first of all, you're just a little bit too kind there, Tom, but, but I do appreciate it. Um, I think the key things are really, there's really two main things I could go on. There's probably 10 different, you know, core differentiators, but the two that are most important, number one is speaking the truth. And that's not to say that the other eight, you know, 90,000 recruiters out there in the country aren't speaking the truth. That's not the case. But when you have your own practice and it's a successful one, you get to be really frank with your clients. You're not afraid of losing a client. I fire clients all the time. I mean, not too often, but I do let them go and tell them straight up, I can't work with you if these conditions aren't met or if I don't feel like this is going to be at least a four out of five star kind of company for, for my candidates to work at. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to work with you. And so being really frank with them, really truthful with them and telling them like, hey, you're letting HR um, kind of run this for you. You've got a 24 year old with, you know, less than a year of business experience, making massive, massive business decisions about your team. That's your career. You know, I mean, that's your career that these people are building. You're only as good as your team and you're outsourcing it to people who don't have the right experience. It's just a nightmare. Honest to God, it's an absolute nightmare. And I've been there. I know what a horrible hire is like. I've, I've made, trust me, I have made my share of mistakes. And so helping to, um, you know, helping these uh, hiring managers, really it's hiring managers, we could say companies, but it's the hiring managers themselves, helping them de-risk their career. You can have one bad hire here and there. You get two or three in a row. Guess what? You're going to stay a director forever. You'll never make VP or you'll stay a VP forever. You'll never make CEO or whatever it is that you're trying to overcome. So speaking the truth is really something that I'm able to do uh, because it's my own business. And I might feel a little bit more reticent if I was representing a larger firm. The other thing is that we're exclusive. And that doesn't mean we're like a country club. It just means that when, um, when I engage with a client, it's required. And I would say this is, I have one client that it's not exclusive, just one out of all of them. But exclusivity means that they give us a chance to identify the right people first before they go out and engage three, four, five, six, seven, eight different recruiters, blast out a job description, cut off all communication with the hiring manager to any of the recruiters. Everything runs through HR. It's a recipe for disaster because what happens, Tom, is you get all of these different companies, right? And they're all running to get a candidate across the line faster. It's a speed race, not a quality race. And they're, they're you know, the only way to get to the, uh, get to candidates quickly is hit the job boards or your database, which is probably built off of applicants from the job boards. And no offense to anyone who's on the job boards, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is the low hanging fruit. And I don't have any problem saying that, it's, it's a fact. And you'll find only maybe 10% of all top performers are actively on the job boards at one time. And that's where all these resumes are coming from, right? So where's the actual deep selection, deep thought processes of, and, and uh, marketing strategies to identify the best of the best? These guys aren't going to do it if it's a race. Why would you? Right? So when you select just a single staffing firm to work with that is going to be dedicated, takes a little bit of time, can take two or three weeks not two or three days to get you the very best person. 
then they're actually giving themselves full access to the 80% of candidates out there that are actually open to hearing about an interesting, unique job offer, if it's the right one. So what are uh, two or three of the biggest challenges you would say you've overcome as the owner of your own business? Okay. Yeah. Well, myself, for one, like I am the biggest problem. <laughs> like I always am. And it's, uh, you know, I could talk about COVID and I could talk about the economy and things like that. But I would say number one was my own market knowledge. I thought I knew a ton about Salesforce and the Salesforce economy. I didn't know almost anything. I mean, it was a shock. So, you know, taking the time to really dig in and kind of get, you know, faking it till I make it, sadly, but I mean, that was the reality. I really had to gain some understanding about uh, the, the, uh, the Salesforce economy. The other thing I had to do is I had to learn how to market. Marketing was not something I'd ever done. I was a sales guy and I was a sales leader and I was a headhunter and a recruiter, but really pushing out content, developing content, um, email strategies, long tail email sequences, all the things that I do to capture clients is, is something that uh, was brand new to me because I didn't want to get on the phone and dial a hundred calls every day, like every other company out there. And I don't do that. I haven't made a sales call since I opened this business. I've had sales meetings, uh, but all of my business has really come through marketing and social media strategy. And I guess the, the final one was the first thing that I mentioned was overcoming myself and, and the challenges that I have, which, uh, and, and so to, to do that, you know, I, I, I do monthly reviews of successes and failures and try to hold myself accountable as much as possible to, you know, where did I mess up? I wasted two months on that client. What can I learn from that? And making smart decisions to move forward. So uh, one of the other things that intrigued me is uh, I would say you pay it forward, but you give back. And you've right up front about that and talking about your efforts on that on the website. And I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about your program for giving back, why it's important to you and how you accomplish it. Sure. Yeah. No, uh, happy to talk about that. I'm really passionate about some of the efforts that, uh, that my business goes into to try and support those in need. And, I, and we do it in two ways. One way is um, for every placement that we do, every full-time placement, we feed a school child on the weekends. Um, for the entire year uh, through an organization called Blessings in a Backpack. And I can tell you, um, you know, when I was quite young, I had many days that I was very hungry and I'd open the fridge and there was nothing in there. And I know what it's like. And having the right nutrition to ensure that you, um, you know, to ensure that uh, your brain is functioning and you can learn. I mean, what's more critical than that for, for, for youngsters? So I'm really passionate about that. And then the other ways that I try to contribute in addition to just having, you know, videos on my YouTube channel that, that try to, to reach the masses a little bit more are going to these technical colleges or to um, uh, organization, working with organizations like WorkSource Oregon or WorkSource uh, Washington or to um, other tech schools that, that help support uh, disadvantaged people trying to break into the tech market and just kind of whether it's showing them like, Hey, look, this is how you interview, or this is, you know, these are, this is how to help improve your resume, or this is how to work with recruiters. Some of that really general stuff to like, this is what it's like when you join a company and this is what you can expect. And these are the behaviors that are going to be expected of you. And this is how you can get better at that and how you can get better at efficiency and um, some of the other things that they might not teach in a technical college. 
So let me uh, let me change the focus just a little bit because we're recording this in uh, late January of 2021. How has the coronavirus health crisis uh, caused you to have to either change your business model or even modify things you talked about or we talked about video interviewing? But what about some of the other uh, issues? Well, I'll tell you, it's um, you, you know from a financial standpoint, I you know of course there was an immediate impact. All of that's gone now. Like I, from a business standpoint, we're not feeling it economically in this industry. And I think that's because a lot of firms are turning to cloud technologies um, and there's a lot of demand for cloud technologies and that's the space that we support. Um, but the, the, the biggest impact I think was that I felt an enormous amount, really an obligation um, when all of this happened last, um, last April to start a YouTube channel that would help my clients and, and would help um, the people who were all of a sudden out of a job. And what do they do and how do they deal with that? and providing some, just a handful of, I think, thoughtful videos and hopefully a little bit funny and kind of fun videos to help them kind of get through that and figure out what those next steps are and give themselves the best advantage. So it, it at the end of the day, inspired me to uh, start a YouTube channel. And it's something that I'm, I'm passionate about. I wish I had more time for, frankly, but I'm passionate about and um, I think has, has helped serve some people in a really positive way. Josh, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on the Salesforce recruiter, any of your social media sites, where could they go and how could they find out? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you can find me at thesalesforcerecruiter.com. Again, it's just thesalesforcerecruiter.com. Um, I also have a YouTube channel called Josh Force, and you can just jump on YouTube and type in J-O-S-H-F-O-R-C-E, uh, one word, I'll come right up at the top. Um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am a little selective. I try to keep it as focused on the Salesforce um, ecosystem as possible there, but I'm happy to connect. You can also follow me uh, and my company, Endeavor Staffing, on um, on LinkedIn. And you can find me as uh, Josh or Joshua Matthews on um, on LinkedIn. I'll probably be the first one that pops up. Josh, I really wanted to thank you uh, for this uh, podcast interview. I've learned so much, and I really applaud and appreciate your efforts for really paying it forward, uh, both in charity work with uh, educational outreach uh, to helping people not only um, less fortunate than us, but those that are up and coming are going to be our next generation of workers. So thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's really been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. Dusty Rollins here. Thank you so much for listening to Profiles in Persistence. If you're a successful business owner or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit thetaxcure.com slash podcast slash apply. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Profiles in Persistence. I love seeing your posts and your guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content, so make sure you don't miss any episodes and go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, 
ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, www.thetaxcure.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time.